Podicumens, and welcome to the Podicesis podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. I am Brett Maddox, and once again, we are joined by your very best friends, the most awesome, talented pastors in South Georgia, in their own minds, Jim Morrow and Alan Kaysen. Jim, Alan, how are y'all doing? All right, at any point now, I'm going to call, I'll say, hey, Alan, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. And just for clarification, he said, how are you, Jim and Alan, yeah. meaning Jim, you go first. Okay. Heidi ho neighbors. How are you doing today? <laughs> and and uh, I'm, I, I guess everybody is doing, I'm going to, I'm going to say for the collective listeners, we're doing fine. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, hey, if you wanted to help us get an editor to clean up the last few seconds that you listened to. Um, I'm not cleaning. Brett that up does at a all. great job, but we actually I think I think we need a director. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you clarified in your mind because my goodness, <laughs> we're gonna you're gonna set up some trouble for us. But mm. we are just glad to be with everybody. Uh, I'm ex. Listen, I'm excited about this topic today. It's it's uh for the theology podicumen nerd type person like me. Mm-hmm. This episode is fire. It's filled with cancel culture. It's got some throwdowns. They're throwing fire. It's going to be a good time. Filled with cancel culture. That's what people are listening for today. So uh, let's see. Pick us up. Pick us up. Google algorithm. Pick us up. <laughs> now that we've raised your expectations. <laughs> Time we'll help to, you fall. Yes, time to let them fall. Well, uh, we're so glad that you are with us. As always, hit us up on social media um, at Podicesis, is where you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also ask that you go on Apple, iTunes, and leave a five star review and, and leave us a uh, tell us how well you love us and how much you like us. Um, and we've got a little challenge that's been going on now for a couple of weeks, and we're ticking up ever so slowly on those stars. Um, we were wanting to get to 40 stars in order to hear some really fun stories. Jim, myself, and Alan have been in the ministry for a long time uh, now, and we've accumulated a lot of fun stories. Alan, especially, because he was born into this thing. And so as a PK, so I know we know he's got some great stories to tell. I think um, Alan's but, uh, been preaching since he was two years old. It's true. It's absolutely true. So uh, we Started want to... When I was in pull-ups. well we want to share some of our favorite stories and ministries maybe some uh uh, ministries maybe some of our uh maybe some of our more interesting stories and ministry but we would love for you to uh that's going to be an incentive for you so leave us a five-star review on apple uh itunes it helps us on itunes if you do that um as well so uh that's really all the things I need to say on the front end. Let's go ahead and get into the questions. Uh, as always, we're looking at John Wesley's revision of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. We're looking at questions 31 and 32 today. Uh, the first question is a complete markout. It is a X'd out question that John Wesley would go in and take out of the catechism itself. And the question for that is, what is effectual calling? What is effectual calling? Now, he did mark it out, but we're going to give you the answer to what's in the original uh, catechism uh, now. I, I don't know what, I don't know how to do this. Just read through the line. How do you read? Is there how a particular do you read accent? Through a strike through? I don't understand. Yeah. Is there like a particular <laughs> sound effect you're supposed to play behind it? To indicate? <laughs> <But yes. laughs> can you can copy and paste like that and put it underneath? Yeah, sure thing. That'll be fine. We can do like a little static, like All it's right. not coming through like a radio station. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we figured this thing out. So we'll see. We'll see if I can read through the strike through. Daggum, John Wesley. Um, <laughs> what is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's spirit by which convincing us our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, renewing our wills. He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. So why would he strike that out? Now, we're going to be talking about that, of course, in this episode, but why would he strike that out? Um, John West is a tyrant. Oh, man. <laughs> He's not afraid to change things up, y'all. And, you know, we laugh about that, but that is true about John Wesley. If you read uh, different things about him, particularly after um, his conversion experience, after uh, things in 1738 start really uh, taking off in the Wesleyan revival in England, I mean, he's doing all kinds of stuff, even against what he was comfortable with. Um, some of my favorite stories are have to do with ordination, um, how uh, he had teamed up with um, an orthodox priest to ordain ministers to go out um, uh, because the Church of England wouldn't do it. And then eventually, apparently, Wesley would get into the ordination game, which is an interesting thing as well. Um, it, it didn't sit right with him, but he just saw like a need, and the Church of England wasn't filling that need. So some f- interesting stories um, one resource that speaks to this, Billy Abraham, William Abraham, um, who's a great Wesleyan scholar, um, has a fantastic book that's very accessible to, to the layperson uh, called Wesley for Armchair Theologians, uh, where he talks about a lot of these issues theologically, but also practically that Wesley um, was doing during his day. So I highly, highly recommend that book for you uh, to listen to Podicumens. So effectual calling, why, why mark it out? Why, Jim, why did he mark it out? I'm going to tell you why. Exactly. It sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Like, when, yes. Especially when you hear particularly what's written in the catechism. You're like, well, that sounds great. Yeah. But in the line of thinking, you remember that the Westminster Divines, which the Divines is what they called the group of people and scholars who put this together, not meaning that they were divine, divine. <laughs> but they, were, they had a very particular... Um, uh, theological mindset that was informed very much by Calvin and the reformers. Um, and so there were two general schools of calling, two general spheres of calling. There's the general call of God towards humankind, which is that way in which you can preach the gospel and it still matters because God is generally calling all people. But in this particular school of thought that you don't particularly see it in the catechism, but it is there is the idea that the effectual calling was the nearly, I, I believe I could even say with uh, confidence that it is the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, you can't deny it, undeniable yeah. call that God places to a particular person. So it's as irresistible. If, irresistible. Wow, I dropped that word. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is the irresistible call that God gives at a time to those who he is foreordained mm-hmm. or are predestined. Mm-hmm. So, so then it becomes um, what God doesn't give to everybody, but what God gives only to those who he has chosen in such a way that it, it happens without the person's response. Right. right. So that is why effectual calling is a term that Wesley's not very fond of using because that's not the way that John Wesley 
or Wesleyans or a lot of Christians through history have understand the way that God has allowed humanity to respond to the call of God. Right. And now the, ge- general, the general call sounds very much like a Wesleyan prevenient grace, right, doesn't right. it? Yes. But yes, it's yes. not quite there because, it, because in the Calvin general Calvin and reformed framework, there is nothing within a human being that can receive and respond to that call because right. they're utterly and totally depraved. Right. Whereas in the Wesleyan framework, there is the remnant of the Imago Dei or image of God that still acts as what, like a little backyard AM radio antenna that can still get the weak signal. That's right. Which, by um, the way, is the grace of God. That It's only there by the grace of God. What's right. interesting, sometimes Wesleyans will get all up and, uh, you know, get their, their hackles up, you know, over this idea of irresistible grace that you see in Calvinistic thought. It's irresistible mm-hmm. to the, the chosen, if you will. But Wesley had an idea of irresistible grace, too. It was just right. universal, that you couldn't escape from it. And that's where, when we talk about prevenient grace, that's one of the things we're, we're, we're mentioning here is that there's nothing you can do. Like, you cannot deny, you cannot say, well, I don't want God's grace, because it's already given. Like, it's just right. there. And Wesley had an idea of complete sovereignty of God, but also depravity of man, humanity, this idea that without God's grace, we would not be able to even consider God. We wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even, we're, we're so depraved, it wouldn't even be within our grasp to even think about. Right. And without, and I, I believe we can take it even further, without God's grace poured out irresistibly upon us, we could not breathe or live. Exactly. Exactly. And so, interestingly enough, Wesley does have a doctrine of irresistible grace. Oh, hold on. That's so controversial. So Wesley <laughs> believes in irresistible grace, but yes. he moves it forward in the timeline. Right. If you were you can't really look at salvation like on a timeline, but if you if you were to pretend like you could, the irresistible part is that God's grace is out there calling out to every one of us. Right. In the Calvinist and Reformed thought, and I'm speaking generically there, the irresistible part is like you you will respond by faith, period. Yes, absolutely. That's the irresistible part there. The irresistible part for Wesley and Arminians, and you can correct me if I'm not tracking with you, is that God's poured out grace to you that you cannot deny. That's right. It's just you don't have to respond to it in, the, in a way of faith. Right. Can I tell exactly. y'all something? Can I exactly. tell you what's irresistible? What? What? Snickers. Listening to the two of you talk about irresistible grace. <laughs> it's irresistible. It's irresistible. It's irresistible. All right, let's take, let's take a quick time out. Each of us is going to name one thing that we find irresistible. I'm going to start. If there is a pint of ice cream in my freezer, I cannot resist it. Who's double next? stuffed Oreos. Oh my god. Oh my double, gosh. Double stuffed Oreos. You can't. I was going to say chocolate, and then and then you mentioned that. I, if there's a chocolate bar, if there's a Kit Kat, if there's a um, Reese's cup, I don't know, yeah. man. So not the big Reese's cup, the miniature ones, just to clarify. No. Let's just um, let's just combine it all together. A good chocolate ice cream with double stuffed Oreos inside. Well, they do have a chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream mixed with uh, Oreo cookies and cream ice cream. <laughs> that yes, yes, does all of these things. Wow, yeah. Guess where I'm going made, after this. <laughs> um, all of our million listeners sin, and so hey, um, of gluttony and lust, right? As, lust Levitic- as, yes. as Leviticus three reminds us, all the fad is the Lord. So just. Embrace That's it. Right. Well, I've, I've embraced that passage. 
Leviticus three. That's the Potakis's comment com- commentary you all tune in for. At least it's not hey, Deuteronomy just, six. So just real quick, like we can riff back and forth about irresistible grace, but I do need somebody to explain to me why on a pint sized container of ice cream they think that somebody's gonna believe that is four servings and not one. <laughs> A pint, yes. a pint is a single serving vessel. Can I get a name? All right, name. all right. Carry on, carry yes. on. So, uh, if you remember, if you can remember back a few minutes ago, that is how I would describe why I think that Wesley struck out effectual yeah. calling that question. And I and I think that is right on and one hundred percent. But one last thing I would do want to say: this idea of irresistible grace from Wesley's point of view, this universal, prevenient grace. You can't. I really actually think it is. Uh, it, it points to the the nature of God as God is love. Right. That the reason why God pours out His grace upon all of humanity is because, well, John 3 tells us, for God so loved the, world. the cosmos, the world. Like, this mm-hmm. is it right here. And, uh, yeah, so that's awesome stuff. Okay, so good stuff now. So that's question 31. Let's move on to question 32. So the original question is, what benefits do those who are effectually called, pointing back to that last question, partake of in this life? But then Wesley would mark out are effectually called, and he rewrites it, what benefits do those who truly believe partake of in this life? So belief becomes um, a huge portion of this. Our response to that grace becomes a huge piece to this. Alan, do you have that answer? Yes, this one is a little easier to read because there's <laughs> less strike-throughs, but I, 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 so I can get it. All right. Those who truly believe instead of are effectually, effectually called do in this life partake of justification and sanctification and the several benefits which in this life do either accompany or flow from them. And Wesley has stricken through the word adoption. Um, in between in justification and sanctification. We'll get to yeah. that in just a minute. Yeah. Man, Wesley is on a roll. I know. Like that guy, when he gets on fire, he gets on fire. Do y'all remember NBA Jam back in the He's day? On, on the second? Of- yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, wow. So here, can I, <laughs> let me say something, and I haven't said this before when Wesley does his revisions. Some would say, well, Wesley was, uh, you know, uh, he shouldn't have done this. Like he was acting um, impulsively or, or whatever the word is. I, I, I beg to differ on that. Um, I think this stuff is important to Wesley. If you'll remember, um, this is all the way back, I think, in episode one, uh, the, the Wesley's revision of the Shorter Catechism was part of his, uh, what he called his Christian library, that he would send out to his preachers his circuit-riding preachers who would go out and minister throughout the towns and villages and whatnot. This was their seminary. This was their training. And so a basic catechism that was uh, that was robust in its theology, uh, that uh, was, uh, in his view, correct or refined in its theology for his Arminian way of looking at things, was very, very important. So I, I really don't think it was so much as, you know, Wesley thought of himself greater than the divines. He, he liked the shorter catechism. It was part of his upbringing, but he... Um, he wanted to refine it for his preachers because this was their theological training. Theology was important to John Wesley. And for us in the Methodist church today, but also in the wider Wesleyan movement around the world, you know, theology needs to be important to us. 
it yes, can't it does. be it, it can't be one of those things that's left to the clergy. Oh, I just don't understand this or whatever. And our clergy need to understand you are local theologians in your church. Listen, you said it needs to be important for everybody. I kind of make sure it's important in the clergy too. <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. Gone are the days, in my opinion, where we can make to the excuse, "Well, I'm just not a theologian." No, if you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, on one level or another, you are a theologian. You're dealing with theology. You're dealing with because it's it matters to our lives, and it mattered to Wesley. It should really, really matter to us today, whether we're in the pulpit every Sunday or sitting in the pew. All right, so we've got that. Now let's go to the scripture references. There's only three and some interesting ones here at that. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8 to begin with, Romans chapter 8, and particularly we're going to be looking at verse 30. But I'm going to back up a little bit, start at verse 26, and read on down. By the way, I love Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters I mean, probably in, it's one of the greatest opening lines in a chapter in, in the New Testament. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. let's Dude, go, fire you up. Deuteronomy is feeling jealous right now, Brett. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I'm just what saying. about Lazarus? Lazarus <laughs> just went oh, Lazarus. Yes, back know. on. But they, well, La- this is Lazarus good. We do and, know that... Lazarus and Moses would say four, amen to this. Four passages of scripture. He likes he likes Romans one, Deuteronomy six, Lazarus, and now this one. So yes, that's exactly that's good right. to know. That's good to know. Uh, and so uh, we're going to pick up at verse twenty six here. Um, uh, Wes, uh, Wesley Paul has been uh, laying out this framework of freedom and the spirit, freedom in the Holy Spirit. This kind of new life, new creation, being adopted, uh, being heirs with Christ, uh, this wonderful, beautiful uh, language here, um, and then this future glory to look for that we, our present sufferings, our present issues we're going through pale in comparison to what is to come. And Paul will write, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray um, at, for as as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Now, interestingly, in the notes of the Wesley uh, Shorter, uh, uh, in the notes of, the, of Wesley's revision of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, um, uh, the, the, com- the commentary written by a guy named McDonald about 100 years ago, and you can find this commentary in the seedbed version of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, <laughs> McDonald will say, uh, this passage, <laughs> Romans 8.30, is irrelevant <laughs> to the question at hand. <laughs> fire. That's fire. Like when you hear somebody from the previous century say what, what is irrelevant, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty hard words. But it is, it is actually better than what McDonald used to say, which is E-I-E-I-O. 
new. Was that was that old McDonald? Was that old McDonald? Yeah, new McDonald will just throw fire at the Westminster Catechism. But new old McDonald. Yeah, he had a farm. You know, I wasn't I wasn't ready for that, and I should have been. I knew. It's low-hanging fruit, brethren. I know, I know. I thought you were going to go, I'm loving it from the McDonald's commercials, but let's just move oh, on. Yeah, next yeah. time. Next time we'll do that. Um, so uh, he would say it was irrelevant um, for uh, various purposes, but there is still some good stuff in here. These issues uh, of predestined, Wesley would use, he, he would say those who are predestined are those who believe, who truly believe. Um, those, uh, that's who he, uh, Paul is talking about here. Um, but you see that language of justification, glorification, you're getting into the benefits. And that's really the big question that we're dealing with here is what are the benefits? What are, uh, what, what, what do we uh, partake in in this life um, if, we are, if we truly believe in Christ? All right. And uh, I think Jim's got Ephesians. So, uh, yeah. Oh, go so it, here's an interesting note. If you look in the catechism, there are no scripture proofs for question 31, which is right. what is effectual calling, right. which if you remember back back when we were first exploring these questions that were stricken, um, one of the things we did notice is that many of them have no scriptural right. uh, backing. Yeah. Um, and so this comes as a response to question 32. And uh, I'm going to read the verse and then we'll pick up a little bit more on through it, through Wesley's understanding, possibly, or a corporate understanding of election. So in uh, Ephesians 1, 5, it reads this, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, of course, that (laughs) comes, verse 5 breaks up a sentence. Ephesians 1 is notoriously, I I believe in Greek, it's one sentence. One sentence, right. Um, But the versification there is is weird but so it says he predestined us for adoption to sonship now when you read ephesians if you pay attention to its overall structure you're going to understand that there's some moves that happen where paul begins to talk about an us and then he begins to talk about a you and if you pay attention doing some biblical study you'll notice that there's some purposes and some structure behind that i believe it was um a pastor named talbot davis who brought this up again, more recently, uh, that said, if you understand that not every time that the Bible says us, is he talking about you as in us? Like, I know the Bible is great and God loves you and Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible tells me so, but not every time the Bible uses the word us, are you included in it? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, at its inception, eventually you will be, but if you trace Paul's actual argument, you'll find out how you are included. When Paul said, when Paul is in this chapter one section is, is talking about us, he's talking about him and his fellow Jewish believers. And then it will go on to talk about a more wide sense, how Christ has broken down the dividing wall. And now all people mm-hmm. can partake and be, and as the Romans would say, be grafted in to right. the family of God. And so, so there's one sense where Paul is not even asserting whatsoever that every Christian is chosen in advance by God for 
salvation that they can not resist. Right. It's not necessarily saying that Paul in this passage is not even saying that God predestines every Christian because the us here doesn't include non-Gentile people at this point right. in the structure of Ephesians. Now, the other thing uh, that it brings up is that there is a broad idea in scripture of communal predestination. So, for example, God predestines everyone who's in this cup. This cup is called Christ. You can jump in that cup. Mm-hmm. So you can become part of the community that is predestined right. to be those who yeah. Yeah. are saved Yeah, because that's what Christ does. Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to share that with us um, yeah. as we talk about effectual calling. But one of the things that Paul says in Ephesians 1.5 is that we then become through adoption to sonship through Christ a part of the family of God. Now that word adoption is theologically loaded and we'll pick that up a little bit later. Yeah. It's loaded with goodness. Yes, that's exactly right. That's good. And I love that cup analogy or pool analogy or however analogy you want to do that. And perhaps the way to look at that is um, from kind of a biblical point, it's maybe through the family line of Abraham, you know, where, where mm. um, Abraham becomes that almost that pool in which we're all, you know, he's being called, right? He's, mm-hmm. this is, and that, that line, your, your, your son and your son and that Abraham, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but out of that in within that pool or that cup or whatever you want to call it, you can jump in that, and yeah, you can, yes, absolutely, man. That's good stuff. Yeah. All right, I, I, I figured out an analogy now. Thank you, Jim, for that. Um, thank you for joining us for the Podakesis podcast. <laughs> Talk to y'all later. No. Um, um, but that's that's awesome stuff there. Good stuff. All right, now we're going to go to a different uh, Pauline text, 1 Corinthians, also known as the Angry Corinthians. Uh, this is where Paul oh, <laughs> where Paul's getting onto a church that needs some getting onto. Um, but uh, this is the opening salvo of that letter, um, and I'm going to turn it over to the great Alan Kaysen. All righty then. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 26 and 30. And uh, Paul writes, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. And then verse 30, it is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, Hmm. who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Hmm. And um, so there's a couple of things about this passage. One is... um, we see the benefits that the that our answer to question 32 talks about um, along with justification, sanctification, the several benefits um, that accompany um, those who truly believe. And we see the righteousness, holiness, and redemption that comes from Christ. Um, but we also see the, the, again, the word called, and we kind of had this discussion before we, we started recording is that, um, actually, if you think about all three of these scripture references, um, let's just face it, it might not have been the best, best scripture verses for yep. this passage, right. especially, just say it, man. especially given Wesley's revision, right? Um, yes. because, um, these, these, we believe were, were meant for the original answer, the right. original yes. question. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so, absolutely. um, as Jim had pointed out to us earlier, um, it, it looks like they just used a concordance and 
found word, found scripture that had the word called in it right. and, and just found it the word there. that had adoption in it. Yeah. And then, and so now <laughs> Ephesians, the Ephesians passage that Jim just read now that Wesley has stricken adoption out of it is not maybe the most applicable to the answer to this question. Right. So it's just interesting. Um, how how Wesley's revisions sort of affect even the scripture proofs that are a part of uh, the catechism, um, and even here with called. But we do see the benefits, some of the benefits um, that that do accompany uh, yeah. um, those who truly believe, as the answer states. So, it, it makes yeah, me wonder it, if you were a if you were a circuit writer back in, uh, let's say you were a coal miner, got saved at a Wesleyan revival meeting or whatever, um, went through this calling of being a pastor, uh, went through the training got your horse, got your Christian library, and were sent out packing and sent out preaching, and you're reading through this during your, you know, on your long trek, and you go, okay, so what, Wesley, why, why, what does this mean? <laughs> what, 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 exactly what? Right. Uh, what do I do with this? So anyway. Yeah, so we've, we've talked a lot about how Wesley struck the idea of effectual calling, but um, the, the larger idea behind it, there are still benefits for the believer who, who receives the grace of salvation. And so you do still see the justification and sanctification. And though Wesley would strike the term adoption here, uh, one of these other smarter people will tell you why, why we think so. It doesn't mean that he doesn't quote believe in adoption, but if you look at it at a meta level, it would seem like it just doesn't belong here. Speaking of which, if there are only a limited amount of questions in this catechism, if you look then at why each one is included, the fact that such a uh, um, theologically specific and almost factionally specific theological term was given two questions should tell you a little bit about why Wesley cut it to begin with, because they're basically giving a lot of airtime to something that Wesley wouldn't call something of first importance or Paul right. wouldn't call something of first importance. Right. right. If, go ahead. Well, just so, just so we're making it clear later, I think it's verse 33 or 34 question, 33 or 34. Um, he strikes through the question of adoption mm-hmm. because here in this question, he strikes through adoption. Um, and so it is believed that Wesley simply struck that question out about adoption because he did it here and just for brevity and mm-hmm. conciseness and not to be confusing. And also Wesley's focus is on the idea of justification and sanctification. Right. Right. We adoption as us becoming children of God adopted um, into his family is of great importance and scriptural and, and all that. But Again, getting down to the nitty gritty, he really wants to talk about justification and sanctification mm-hmm. and and what those are and what they mean. Um, and so he is that, that that's why it is believed that he's he's uh, he's struck yeah. through adoption. And one other piece to think about too, and just building on that, Alan, is the idea of effectual calling in this circle of reformed and Calvin reformed Calvin work. Um, means that the spirit forces it happens pretty instantaneously. So the spirit of God made you fully sanctified. And Wesley would say, no, the Wesley, uh, the spirit of God renewed you and you are being renewed and regenerate, been regenerated, renewed in the image of God. You're not there yet. We can tell. Wesley preached sermons about how you can tell. You can tell that I'm not fully there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so part of the reason that he would make adjustments here is effectual calling is, is just instantaneous, irresistible. And Wesley says, I don't see that playing out in my life. We need to focus more on how people can become holy and how Definitely. God is making right. them holy. Right. This whole uh, idea of a journey of faith, uh, the process of faith, um, you know, we need to remember that for Wesley, faith is got it's it's both a journey, it's also both a process, and then there's instantaneous, or what I like to call mile markers along the way. Um, so you can have that altar experience, that that come to Jesus moment, but that's part of you your journey or your process from prevenient grace to justify justifying grace and it's to a regeneration and a process that's a moment mm-hmm. and a process yeah. and then you've got sanctifying grace right that's leading you and you're becoming more holy and more holy and more holy but even wesley taught you could become sanctified in this life like and he would lay mm-hmm. that out on per, per, in christian perfection so um there again these moments these moments within the process itself and uh yeah so that's uh and and, and adoption even in itself, Wesley would say, would be part of that process and be a piece of that process. I think it's fair. So this question, question um, 32 here that we've been looking at after effectual calling, really is setting up the next several questions we're going to be dealing with, with justification, sanctification. It's also going to be dealing with like the, what the resurrection brings to us, like the benefits, mm. the actual benefits, because the answer to the question, um, you know, the, the several, ben- the question that we've been dealing with this and the several benefits, which in this life do either accompany or flow from them, from justification and sanctification. What is what are the benefits? Well, what well the catechism is going to get into that. The catechism is going to deal detail that out, and we're going to be looking at those in the next several episodes in in detail. So this really kind of sets that up. What the benefits of salvation or of believing in Christ, being a child of God, what does it look like? I do think it's important to kind of park right here for a moment, and from a Wesleyan point of view, and to discuss this process of salvation. Um, what Wesley would call the ordo salutis, the order of salvation, right? Um, this is very Wesleyan thing and something we really need to lock in on. And if you've ever been, uh, if you're listening, you've ever been on a walk to Emmaus um, weekend, you'll hear about this with uh, prevenient grace and justifying grace and sanctifying grace. Those are three big parts of this. But the the order of salvation from Wesley is is actually wider and bigger than that. There's a lot more going on. You do have prevenient grace. We've talked about that. Um, You do have justifying grace, but you also have within justifying grace, you do also have this idea of regeneration um, that takes place. I mean, it's justification and regeneration. They're really, I mean, that's that cross moment. That's that uh, salvation moment. So justifying grace, Justification, this is the pardoning, God pardoning us of our sins, forgiving us, um, dealing with the issue of guilt. Um, Regeneration or new birth, this is new life. This is um, victory over the power of sin itself, Uh, a a recreation moment. Uh, What um, William Abraham would say is a movement from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. Um, Then you have a movement of sanctification. This, this growing in our life of faith, this growing in our in in in, in what we do, who we are as followers of Christ, um, the power to live a life toward God and our neighbor. Um, within that grows assurance, 
which is an awesome thing. You know, one of the most controversial things that Wesley taught was this idea of assurance of faith. Apparently, uh, in the Church of England during that day and age, in Wesley's day and age, assurance of faith was not a thing. Like it was derided. How can you be sure? Well, Wesley was a big teacher of that. Um, And then you get into uh, glorification, glorifying grace, which is moving on, the moving from the church militant to the church triumphant, um, the, the role of death as a, as a, as a means of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it really is a process from birth to lot to death itself. Uh, it, when we look at this ordo salutis, this order of salvation that Wesley would lay out for us, um, it's an interesting thing that it, it, God is... It's not, God doesn't start picking up, in, this, this, this really hit me probably in seminary when it really just kind of clicked. God didn't start <laughs> working on my life when I gave my life to him when I was 16 years old. Right, right. It, God started working on my life from the moment I drew my first breath, even before while I was in my mother's womb. You know, that, that, that is uh, absolutely true, um, that God's been working in my life and your life and everybody's lives from the very moment that life began for you. Um, so I, I love this Wesleyan ordo salutis, order of salvation thinking, um, because it just shows me the, the greatness in, of God's love poured out for all of us. That would give you grace, invitation, and power yes, yes. all the way from before you were born into your new life and resurrection body mm-hmm. and glory. Yeah, I mean, it's all that all that's exactly right. At no point does God's grace just cease and stop. You well, know? I think that's where, I mean, you know, Wesley believed in the, the, enti- the entire sanctification and that, that, um, that this process continued and that we could be made perfect in this life. Um, and he believed that that was the great, deposit of methodism that was the, that was why we were created um yeah, yeah. um is to is to preach that and and yeah. that it it's not just this one and done thank you ma'am i got my ticket to heaven yeah it is this this process of being sanctified um um kevin watson has got a new book uh perfect love, love yeah that is that is trying to explain and and rekindle that fire in Wesleyan, um, Wesleyan churches, um, to, to preach that. And, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and I think that's why Wesley is so focused on it and it's, fo- he is fighting against the instantaneous, um, once, um, just in a moment that all of it happens just in a, in a moment. Um, mm-hmm. He is super focused on the process and explaining that um, to us. Absolutely. I wonder, and I need to do some more study on this, so I'm just going to riff it out. I wonder, because Wesley also reacts to what he calls Romish doctrine, uh, that which are some of what he considers the excesses of the Roman Catholic Church at the time. Um, You would see in Roman Catholic doctrine that you can't be made perfect until you're made pure, which often doesn't happen in this life, except for the rare case of a saint, for example, a a Roman Catholic style saint. And so uh, for those who are not, which is most people, you are in then purgatory to purge, be purged of the remaining 
um, either sin or impurity or um, tarnish so that then you can be made perfect, but all this happens after your death. Right. So what, what you do see that runs through, I, I think most streams of Christianity is the, is the reality that God will make the believer perfect. The question is, at what point is it possible? In what ways does God do it? And can it happen before or after death? And one of the reasons that Wesley's entire sanctification is misunderstood and maybe put down two reasons. One, it's hard to believe. Yeah, that's because true. We would, I don't know about you, but I would much rather lean on the lower standard, which is I'm not perfect. I'm right. only human. I'll, right. And be able to have that as an excuse for me than I would be to say, oh, goodness, I need to strive towards perfection because it's easier. I'm not the perfect, other, I'm forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and which I think is is like neat bumper sticker theology, and it has a good message, but I think it's a bad message when you play it out too much. Sure, right. it's, it's great to tell people like, hey, we're not claiming that, we ha- that we're never going to make a mistake. We know we're hypocrites. We're not perfect. We're just forgiven. That's good. But you should strive. You shouldn't just say, just forgiven. Yeah. My dad like I'm not made if perfect. You're not, if you're not striving for perfection, then what are you striving for? Yeah, um, that's right. I mean, it, right. you know, it's it's something we should be um, striving for. Oh, 100%. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So the the other reason that I think entire sanctification and it gets put away is the idea that Wesley has defined it specifically uh, using a lot of the books of John, like First John, for example, as made perfect in love. And that it often, um, and I believe Kevin Watson describes it this way, you can't quote me on that, uh, as an ebb and flow. Like there might be times where you are in, in your, 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 you've peaked over the line of entire sanctification and, and your, your, the process of your life is you might ebb and flow from that as you grow more and more Christ-like. Um, but so the definition of that makes a difference. It'd be good to read that book. I think some of us over yeah. here where I'm at are going to be looking at that soon. If you guys read it, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's going on the pile. Um, I've got to, I've got to finish this dissertation or my wife is going to have words with me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going on to, to be read after pile. Um, but I, I love, mm. I love what, um, the Charles Wesley, Oh, for a thousand tongues we sing. Oh. Um, he breaks Uh, the power of canceled sin. sin. I mean, that is what sanctification is that. And like, I think too, too often we just kind of rest on our laurels. We just like, you know, Oh, I can't, you know, this whole idea that I'm a human, I can't help it. Well, no, if you're in Christ, if you, if, um, if you truly believe as the catechism says, yeah, then you truly believe that, that, Christ broke the power of sin yeah. in your life. And so therefore you can not sin. Um, Another great Wesley hymn that piggybacks right on that. My favorite. And can it be, he wrote, I, my, my chains fell off and I was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. I mean, yes, absolutely. Those chains don't bind. The, I like to think of it as, and is that our excuses are gone. Right. That's scary, though, isn't it? It is. That's, that's, that's isn't why that we don't why? like to lean into it, right? Yeah, like it's. It, it sounds like it sounds like great news, and I'm just thinking about myself here. Like, yeah, that's what I want. But like, when somebody's watching me and I've got it messed up, or if I'm doing something that 
you know, gosh, I can't quite make it. I don't want, I want to be able to say, man, I'm chained still. Yeah. And, yeah, and leaning, leaning into the, leaning into the fact that I, I have not let Christ break me free of the power of cancer and sin in every area of my life. Yeah. Or the sin that's the power that sin has over me, not, not just my own sin, but the sins of, of, of other people, the sin of my condition, the sins, the effects of sins that other people have done to me. I'm still carrying those. That's, mm-hmm. that's, you could classify uh, some traumas in that way mm-hmm. as you are under the power of canceled sin, not your own. You're not mm-hmm. to blame for what somebody else did to you, but somebody else's sin, while it, it that is having power over you. Mm-hmm. And Christ set us free from that. But I would honestly rather sometimes be like, oh man, I don't know. Got this thing going on. I'm chained. I'm broken. Yeah. I've got, I've got daddy issues or whatever yeah. I've got. Um, I'm afraid to fail. I'm a perfectionist instead yeah. of leaning into the glory of the truth because it's hard work. It's hard yeah, inner work. Exactly. It's hard. And, um, we, it's <laughs> when we're tired, when we're stressed, oh. when, um, when hey, are you reading is, my journal right now? Right, right, right. <laughs> when, when something has happened to us, like you speak about somebody else's sin has caused calamity or something right. in our yeah. life, it right. is so much easier to say, you know what? <sighs> this time, you know what? Today, I am changed. You know, today, mm-hmm. um, it, the, it, sin has power over me, and it's yeah. just going to be easier to to deal to let to just fall into that than to to lean into the glory of God. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard. You know, um, the theologian, uh, Beekner, Frederick Beekner, um, mm. said that, um, he's talking about the gospel itself said that the gospel has to become bad news before it can become good news. He's talking right. about the convicting power of the gospel over us. And that's, that doesn't just end at the cross or at the moment of salvation. I think that also is true because the good news is continuing to be proclaimed over us all the time, like the e- even time. into our sanctification. And so we're, as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our holy, in holiness, uh, we're being, this stuff is being revealed to us, right? And we're being, it's just easier to give in. And we will look at, okay, here's the good news of Jesus. He can't, he breaks the power of canceled sin. Man, that is hard work. Like that, that actually means I've got to change some things in my life by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it still requires work, and that good news can look like bad news to some people. Even in and that. it often it often does to me. Yeah, for me. Yeah, you know, and it's it's and it's um, just sometimes more comfortable. Mm. It's not only that's going to take hard work, but like we're letting the Holy Spirit do it. But it's like learning to walk again. Mm-hmm. Like if you've been chained down and you can't walk far, you've got to learn, you've got to get the endurance back, right? To walk farther in life. Yeah. Um, I don't want people to see how feeble I look when I try to stand like that. Yeah. I know the spirit's giving me the power, but it's that moment where I'm not, I'm still learning and I'm still growing in it. And that's part of what makes it hard for, for me. And I think maybe for other people too, right. it's not just that, Oh, I want to sit down today, but it's, I don't want to fail at this. I don't want yeah. to not be able to get it. I don't want people to see me in a feeble, vulnerable state where I'm only held up by the spirit while I'm learning to walk yeah. on my new spiritual legs. Yeah. yeah. My therapist, uh, a while back, long time ago, I have a tendency to hide myself in work and as a workaholic. And 
um, he, he, he many times would sit there and go, what are you running from by adding to your schedule all the time? Mm. Um, you know, and I, and I like to just consider myself a high capacity type guy who can handle all kinds of pressures and, and is always thinking ahead and what, you know, whatever. But he's right that a lot of the moves I make and a lot of things I get myself into, um, I'm running and I'm not wanting to deal with some of the personal issues that are within me because it's, I, it's hard for me to do that. It's easier for me to be, it's easier for me to be stressed out and overworked than it is to find healing in my soul for various things. And so it's not like every chain looks like a chain. Sometimes a chain looks like a golden chain. That's exactly right. Like work is work is awesome, right? Yes, I love work. I do. like I, I can I can speak a little to this because I, I also like I work too much and and y'all call me out on that all the time. Um, rightly so. But like there are laudable things that yeah. chain and high capacity. It's a golden chain, but it's a chain nonetheless. It is, it is. I had a friend call me out and I was talking about how so I've got a vacation coming up. And I was complaining about the vacation. You know, I was like, I'm getting ready to go to the beach with my family. This should be the thing I'm thinking all about right now. This is going to be great joy, a lot of fun, and it will be. But I'm already thinking to the week after I get back and all that I've got to do and blah, blah, blah. And I was just complaining about that. And he was just like, why can't you just be happy that you get to go on vacation? And I go, go on vacation. And I heard myself say to him, I just love working so much. Mm. It caught me a little bit. You need I to do, go sing it. for a thousand tongues to sing, man. I know. In that so I think we are, we are, I think we are evidence of why Wesley was so focused on this process, right? Yeah. Um, yes. Here we, we are. <laughs> here we yes. are, right? We are a work in pro- progress yeah. or a process. Process. You yeah. Say it. Yeah. Works, and, yeah. Um, yeah well, and, and I like this conversation a lot because you can hear the word sanctification all the time, but this is why Wesley valued people's spiritual experiences because we need to see what does that look like in a person yeah like and these are some of the ways that the 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 working it out looks like and then you go look to some of your super spiritually mature people in your church in your life so you can see what the fruit of that process looks like 100 yeah absolutely so like what does it mean to be sanctified to be going through sanctification and seeking perfection these are some of the struggles that might mirror some of your own other people have different ones but this is what it might look like Alan? Well, I love what um, what Kevin Watson has done in his book. He has tied in entire sanctification with the practice of small groups that mm-hmm. um, that yeah. Wesley, yes, had theology, but he also had the practice as well. And so, um, you know, almost what we're doing right now is sort of sort of yeah, not confessing, exactly. but just sharing and and right. and being real and and um, and talking about our, our weaknesses and so forth. Um, that's what you did in a class and a band meeting. And mm-hmm. that, you know, and that was both of those things were, um, were paramount to the success of, of, our, of early, uh, Methodism. Right. And, um, it was the idea that you worked out your sanctification, not alone, but with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, that's, you know, um, you want to, you want to, you want to see sanctification. You want to, live out sanctification get in a small group get 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 yes. together with other christ yeah. followers welcome to the potechesis band meeting <laughs> yeah right 
<laughs> well, uh, man, see, these is- are the reasons. These are the reasons theology matters. Yeah. Yes. You know, if if uh, not to, I, I hate doing the pity part or the poo poo party on whatever on effectual calling. That's a strange term, but um, the but the if I were not to understand that God is using this to for the greatest good to redeem every cell and ounce of my being, then I would wonder if I was saved at all. Mm. But now that I know that I can have the assurance of my salvation and that this is the theological understanding of the process that God is leading me through, then I can glory in it. I can be like Paul, find joy even while I'm in my suffering. Yeah, right. Not that I'm suffering, but you understand what I'm saying. Oh, 100%. Um, 100%. So this is one of those reasons why it's not just like nerd talk only that theology matters. But it's like the foundation. Every time that we would go and talk to somebody or even understand our own spiritual life or counsel with a brother or sister right close to us, this is the springboard with which all of that comes. Yeah, absolutely. That's my, that, I'm done. I'm, I'm, stick a fork in me. That's all I got. Man, that's awesome. Well, hey, this was a, uh, this is a uh, intro level uh, intro to what's about to come, what's about to come about for the next few weeks with us, or a few episodes, I should say, with the Podakesis podcast. Uh, coming up in our next episode, we're going to be looking at questions 33 and 34 of Wesley's revision of the Shorter Catechism. We're going to be looking at uh, what is justification and what is adoption. Now, of course, we know that, we- and we've already said that Wesley's going to actually strike out that adoption question. We'll talk more about that later. But what we're going to be really focusing on is justification, justifying grace. And uh, I'd like to announce that we're going to have a special guest with us, Dr. Scott Kisker. Uh, what? Uh, yes, of yeah. Union Theological Seminary. And he is also a co-host on a great podcast, one of my favorite that's out there right now called the Plain Truth Podcast. Um, yes. Go check it out. It's really, really good. Um, one of our former uh, guests, um, uh, David Watson, is also a, a co-host on that, along with Maggie Ulmer of Firebrand Magazine. It's going to be um, it's going to be a good, good episode, and we're looking forward to that. So we're about to get wow. into justification, and the episode after that, we'll get into sanctification and some other stuff that's coming up as well. So some real fun stuff. And I was looking ahead a little bit, um, and just moving into the fall, we're going to be dealing with the Ten Commandments. So we're going to be really moving Whoa. from the benefits of salvation into what does God require of us. Um, so that'll be some fun stuff moving forward. Um, just want to say a great thank you to the Potacuman community. Hope y'all are uh, doing well. We're so grateful for you. Be sure to hit us up on social media. At Potacesis is where you can find us on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. Remember to leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. Um, that will help us on iTunes. And if you get to that 40 stars, we get to that 40 stars, we're going to start our incentives. We're going to start telling you some fun ministry stories, and you'll want to, um, you'll really want to hear those. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you can also call us at 404-635-6679 and leave a voicemail, and maybe your voicemail will get played on the show as well. Well, Jim, Alan, y'all have anything else? I'm just excited to be with y'all. This has been fantastic. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, for... this is my first episode in my brand new location. Yes. Do you want to tell of your brand new location yet? Yeah, I'll, I'd be glad to. I haven't been keeping the secret. I, I began that today actually marks the end of week one. Um, we're recording on a Wednesday of my time as a senior pastor of First Methodist Albany in Albany, Georgia. How about and that? it is just 
I'm going to brag on everybody. I won't do it long, but this is a beautiful congregation. Everybody's been wonderful um, and looking forward to a brand new brand new start to a brand new ministry. Awesome. And um, there's uh, a lot of podocumens podicumens in the congregation, too. Ooh, nice. How about that? Yes. And Alan, you're starting year what over in that? Year six. Year six. Are you even Methodist? <laughs> well, <laughs> I am now. Listen, I'm now officially the longest serving pastor in Metter United Methodist Church history. That's fantastic. Wow. And, they, and, they and there are some giants who have served here at this church. It is uh-huh. humbling. I tell you, it's humbling. That's that awesome. is. It's absolutely the same here. And I'm starting year 13 here at St. Luke. <laughs> Are you even Methodist? <laughs> um, actually, and we just got a new senior pastor who was uh, over at Albany First, where Jim That's is. That's right. That's so. right. He was faithfully, beautifully, wonderfully serving this congregation. Yeah. And now he's with you. Now he's he's with he, he couldn't get, he couldn't. He couldn't leave the pot of keys. I know. He <laughs> couldn't do it at all. Not at all. So uh, we're excited about these new changes in lives and our lives and some good stuff going on in ministry happening in the local church. All right. Well, I'm Brett Maddox for the Potokesis podcast. That's Jim Morrow there in Albany. That's Alan Kaysen in Metter. And we will see or talk to or, you know, come to you later in a couple of weeks. Why can't I close this thing? Like every Bye, time. everybody. Have a great day. We'll see <laughs> you next time. time. You would think I would have this. Peace. <laughs>